everyone. We'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 9, and we'll read verse 2, verse 5, 6, and 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land deep of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of, Lord, of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Something of a faux pas that I often forget to do, thank you so much, Katie, is mention my name. I don't think I've done that yet. And uh, if we've not met, my name's Alex. I'm the pastor here at New Life Brisbane, and I have the joy of leading and serving alongside and learning from this wonderful community. If you're new here, we'd love to hear your story, particularly if you're up in what the Hilltop Hoods call the nosebleed section. Come on down, fellowship with us afterwards. We'd love to get to know you a bit more. We are continuing our series in Advent right now, and we're up to week three. Does anyone remember the last two weeks, what they were? What was week one? Hope. Come on. All right. All right. And then last week should be a bit more fresh in our memories. What was week two? Joy. And this week, we step into peace. Next week, we take a break from our Advent series as we spend time for our Christmas celebration. Uh, And then the week after that, we'll be looking at the topic of love. And when you hear these four words, hope, joy, peace, love. How much does our world need those right now, right? These aren't just ethereal themes. These aren't just big topics. They're not just weighty ideas that we can center our imaginations around. These are very visceral needs that our communities, our neighborhoods, our friends, and our families all long for. And so as you hear this today, here's the question I want you to be asking just as the word goes out. How could this be good news to my friends and family, right? Like, how, how could this be good news to those in my world that I love and want to see know hope, joy, peace, and love? As you step into peace, here's, my, here's the sort of beginning idea I want to put across our radar. I think peace is a contested topic. You know what I mean? Whenever I hear people try and define peace, often they'll talk about peace in a way that sort of defines it with reference to things from which we're free. What do I mean? Well, think about it sort of on an international level. There might be two nation states in conflict with one another, and once that war has come to an end, you'd say that the two nation states are experiencing peace, the absence of conflict, freedom from war and strife. Or you think about it not just on an international level, but an interpersonal level, so relationally. Maybe there's a hiccup in the relationship, maybe there's something that's between you and another individual, and when you talk about what it might mean to reconcile, you can use the word peace, that I am at peace with that person. That person is at peace with me. International, interdependent, interpersonal. But then there's internal. And often the way we describe peace on the individual level, internally, is that it's the opposite of anxiety. 
And whenever you ask the question, what does peace actually mean, you've got to sort of define at what level you're talking about. Is it sort of peace between nations, international? Is it peace between persons, interpersonal? Or is it peace internally, sort of freedom from anxiety? And the ultimate question we come down to is, man, how do we define peace? What's a helpful definition of peace? We were praying as a team before, as people started to gather with us, um, we usually gather at 3.15 every Sunday afternoon and, and just pray that we'd be sensitive to God as we spend our time together as a community. And someone, one of our worship leaders um, said, it's funny that right now we're centering our imaginations on the topic of peace because at Christmas time, it, it, it's actually really hard to come by. How many of us walked in here this afternoon being like, oh, I still haven't finished my Christmas shopping. Um, if you're married, don't raise your hand because that'll you know, alarm your family. How many of us walked in here this afternoon just with the worries of the week, just burdening our shoulders? How many of us walked in here this afternoon anxious about the week that we've had, anxious perhaps about the week ahead? How many of us walked in here without peace? Peace is something we need, not just internationally, interpersonally, internally. It's something we need as the people of God. But what is it? That's my question. What is peace? And to answer that question, I just want to walk through two sort of panels of thought this afternoon. And as I do that, my hope is that I might get a bit vulnerable, share a bit of my story towards the back end, and that this sort of big topic about peace would start sort of cosmic and big picture and make us think about justice and love and mercy, but then sort of whittle its way down into my heart and your heart as we finish our time. And my hope is that at the end of this 20 minutes to 60 minutes, You'd sit there asking, what's the invitation for me this Christmas with my anxieties, my worries, my fears? And so because you can't pray enough in church and I'm the pastor and I get to decide, let's just pray one more time that God would meet with us as we hear this. So Lord, we just come before you. We just say, Jesus, we're here for you. And Lord, whatever we've walked in here with, would you just help us shake it off so we can hear from you, Jesus? We love you. We love your word and we love your ministry among us. And so we just say, come. In Jesus' name, amen. You open up the book of Isaiah and you get to chapter nine and it's sort of in the midst of a whole string of prophecies between chapter seven to 11 where they're talking about this coming figure because of whom we can have peace and justice and mercy and goodness, the figure on whom all the Israelite people, the people of God in the Old Testament, centered their hopes, the one in whom God would bring his new reign of justice and goodness and mercy. And so you get to chapter nine, and it paints this picture with all these beautiful titles, sort of like a political manifesto, and gives these names about God in Jesus. And here's the first thing we learn about peace from these words, that peace is a future promise. It's a future promise for the world. Lauren prayed so beautifully earlier when she made the point, and preachers do it all the time, that, pr that peace is not the absence of conflict, it's the presence of shalom, this wholeness, wholeness between us and God, us and one another, us and creation, and us within ourselves. It's this ultimate peace. But here's what I do want to say. Even though that's true, I also want to say that peace isn't less than the absence of conflict. And we need to remember this as Christians when we think about the hope that we've got. 
I don't know about you, but I find it really easy to have amnesia about the promises of God, just to live my life, tunnel vision, narrowed down, not really thinking about the impact or the good news of the story we've received. But actually, you think about this promise that there is one day coming a situation within which no tear will exist. All the pain, all the brokenness, all the decay, and all the sin will be wiped away. And that's what peace will look like. It'll look like the absence of conflict, absence of conflict between nations, absence of conflict between us and God, absence of conflict between us and one another, the absence of conflict. That's a really helpful definition of peace. It's more than that, but it's definitely not less. And just to put our minds around it, just for a moment, um, I actually think this is what the text is saying in Isaiah 9, verse, um, verse 5. And then chapter 2 also has a really nice sort of way that it puts it. But it says this in verse 5. It says, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood, it'll be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Now, if you read that, you're just like, oh, it's a bit cryptic. It's my first time in church. Thanks so much for reading stuff that I can't understand. Let me go to Isaiah 2. It paints a more helpful picture. It says this, Isaiah 2, verse 4, of this figure who will come to God's people. It says, he will judge between the nations and settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Do you see what he's saying? There's coming a time when the weapons people use for destruction and perhaps mass destruction will actually be transmuted, transformed, translated into tools used for pushing creation forward. They'll beat their plowshares, their pruning hooks into plowshares. They'll take weapons used against an enemy and use them for the sake of making creation flourish and be beautiful and wonderful. And I just want to say, first off out of the bat, what a wonderful promise, right? Let's not have amnesia about this as Christians. There's a day coming, a wonderful day coming, where God comes to renew and restore and in a just, holy kind of loving way makes all things new. And I think our world's crying out for that right now. I did a bit of study this week and I found, um, I found it to be the case that... Um, uh, the Personnel Journal, they, they did a study looking at um, how long in recorded history the world has been at peace. And so they look, looked at the 3,500 plus years of recorded history, and there's more history than that, but it's not recorded. And they discovered that for about 287 of those years, the world has been at peace with one another. Or in other words, let me translate it, for 8% of recorded history has the world been at peace in some kind of meaningful sense. In that time, it's estimated that there's been about 8,000 peace treaties between different people groups, whether nations or tribes or that kind of thing, and 8,000 broken. And you're just like, oh wow, peace is actually really hard to come by, just on a cosmic level, between nations, between peoples. A more startling fact is that the 20th century was the most murderous in recorded history. Historians estimate that there was about 187 million deaths in the 20th century alone. I was reading an article from The Guardian um, by a Marxist historian. And you, you don't agree with everything every historian writes, but this guy, he, he made this prediction. He's looking at the bloodiest century in human history, and he's asking this question, what will the 21st century be like? And I just want to read his words at the back end of that article. This was written in 2003, just at the turn of the century. He said, a tentative forecast. War in the 21st century is not likely to be as murderous as it was in the 20th, 
but armed violence creating disproportionate suffering and loss, that'll remain omnipresent and endemic, occasionally epidemic in a large part of the world. Here's the takeaway point. The prospect of a century of peace is remote. Here's something I've discovered. I think humanity thinks that we would have solved this by now. Like, just pause for a moment, think about this, let this sink in just for a second. We as, as, as a people thought we would have solved this by now. And I know that to be the case because you look at all the government bodies, particularly international bodies that have opened up in the sort of past century. You think of the League of Nations that was started in the early 19th century, 20th century, and their mandate, uh, they were the, sort of the first UN before the UN existed, their mandate was to see to the world's peace. And they were voted by public opinion to have failed. In 1945, at the end of the Second World War, the UN started, and their mandate was similar, world peace maintaining security. At the end of the 20th century, there's a famous article written by a social scientist, Francis Fukuyama. And if you ever go to like a sort of classic bookstore and you go to the politics section, in these kinds of books, you'll read references to this article. It's called The End of History. And in the end of history, he charts the fall of the Berlin Wall, the fight between the East and the West, communism and capitalism. And as the Berlin Wall fell and David Hasselhoff is singing about freedom that night as it's falling, Fukuyama writes as this like secular prophet and he talks about the fact that we've reached the end of history. We've come to a point where the West has won, their ideology is successful, because of which peace, shalom, rest, wholeness. We've figured it out. We've got to the end. So you take that energy that's in our bones because we've grown up in the West. And you fast forward to 2022, February, I don't know what it was, and tanks roll in in the Eastern Bloc. And you look at the war that opens up between Russia and the Ukraine. And here's what we're doing as humanity right now. We're saying, I thought we solved this. I thought we figured this out. It's estimated that 6.8 thousand civilians, not just war people, but civilians have died since the war broke out between Russia and the Ukraine. And we find ourselves in this point where, man, we don't know what peace looks like, like across the world. And Isaiah says this, chapter nine, verses six and seven. It's a wonderful promise. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over David's kingdom, establishing justice, upholding it and righteousness from that time on and forever. And here's the promise. There's coming a day for the cosmos, for the world out there, where God makes everything right. And what a wonderful promise. Let's not forget that as Christians. Now, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. You're just thinking, oh, that's a wonderful hope. I resonate with that. But what reason do I have to think that it's true? And I just say this. One of my favorite writers is a guy named C.S. Lewis. Michael was here last week and he gave a quote from Keller. I'm here this week. It's gonna be Lewis. No apologies about that. And Lewis, he has this argument. He says, if we find within ourselves desires for things, it must be true that that thing exists. 
What does he mean? Well, he means simply this. We have this desire for food, and lo and behold, food exists. We have this desire for money. Lo and behold, money exists. We have this desire for comfort. Lo and behold, comfort exists. And he paints this picture within which he says, look, it's absurd to think if there's a desire within us that there's not some kind of real thing out there that matches that desire. And he puts it really beautifully in his book, Mere Christianity. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Why do I say this? I say this because each human sitting in the pews alongside each one of us has this desire for peace. And here's my question. Could that not be a clue to the fact that God's peace that he longs to bring into this world is actually the most reliable promise to hold on to? That actually this thing within us, this desire for justice, goodness, righteousness, and peace is actually a telltale sign that what Isaiah is talking about could indeed be possible. That's the Christian hope. Let's not forget it. Future promise for the world. Number two, it's a present possibility for you. Although it's helpful to remind ourselves that peace isn't less than the absence of conflict, here's what I want to say, it is more, because here's what I've discovered in my life, and let me just get personal for the next five minutes. It is so possible to have an absence of conflict and that not guarantee the presence of peace in our lives. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Just a personal testimony. I, I'm a to-do list kind of guy. And... Does anyone have those moments where you write a to-do list and you start going about it, but then you realize earlier in the day you did stuff that wasn't on your to-do list, so you write it on the to-do list so you can tick it off? Anyone? Great. Not alone. Sweet. You're all in good company here. But here's the temptation I've found in life. The temptation I've found in life is that it's so easy to look at the external things and think, I just got to organize them. And once I organize them, then I'll feel okay. So maybe you go onto Netflix and you look up Mary Kondo's, you know, getting rid of the hoarding stuff in your life, and she says, get rid of anything that doesn't spark joy, and so you try and curate your linen closet. And you're thinking, this is going to make me feel good. It's going to make me feel okay with the world. Everything's right. Or you think through, like, Kath and I, we're working on our backyard at the moment. I'm, I just keep saying, like, I'm going to feel great once we've got grass down. Like, once the grass is down, any other, like, male Aussies in the room right now that, like, owns, so that's a thing. Or maybe it's for you. You're like, oh, I just got to get to the end of this year. I just got to sign off on these documents for my workplace, and once that's happened, I'll, like, it'll, it'll feel okay. But how easy is it to get to the moment where you've ticked that thing off your to-do list, and you either just fill it with another item to do, or you sit there despairing because you're like, oh, I didn't deliver the sort of calm and peace and poise and tranquility that I thought it would. And I think this is a clue to the fact that actually there's something internally wrong, that no matter how well you organize the external, no matter how beautiful the world we inhabit is, there's always going to be something we've got to deal with in our own hearts, the anxiety, the chaos. A few years ago, I was reading an article by The New Yorker, and um, the article's called Jumpers. And it talks about the paradox and the fight that was happening between uh, architects, town planners, and health professionals in San Francisco. It was written just on the second side of the 20th, 21st century, so early 2000s. And here's the debate. Do we put railings up on the Golden Gate Bridge? Now, here's why there was discussion about this. Architects love aesthetics. I know there's a few architects in the room. It's got to be sleek, approachable, usable, 
that kind of thing. It's got to look nice. And if you've seen the Golden Gate Bridge, what a marvel of human engineering. But the health professionals and the public servants, they knew something. And that is this, that the Golden Gate Bridge, at the time at least, was one of the most popular places to commit suicide. So this debate ensues, and they're going at it. And they raise the question, should we put railings on it? Now this article, it charts the story of one man who'd written in his journal that day and he says, look, life sucks, I'm depressed and there's no point in me living, I've got no hope, no ultimate hope. And so he says, if I'm gonna walk to the bridge and if anyone smiles at me along the way, I won't jump. Leaves his home, walks along the bridge, no one smiles, climbs the railing, jumps, dies. Big debate, real life scenario. And as the article finishes by a guy named Ted, he said these words. As people who work on the bridge know, smiles and gentle words don't always prevent suicides. A barrier would. But to build one would be to acknowledge that we don't understand each other. To acknowledge that much of life is lived on the far side of the railing. Joseph Strauss, the bridge's architect, he believed that the Golden Gate would demonstrate man's control over nature, and so it did. No engineer, however, has discovered a way to control the wildness within. There's a promise one day that God will come and he'll organize the external world in judgment and in love and he'll renew the cosmos. There'll be no weapons when he comes. There'll be no ways for enemies to multiply their effectiveness of hating on one another. Just love, a beautiful promise. But what do we do in the meantime? And the answer of the Christian story and the answer of Isaiah is actually to let the one who's promised come close. Let me read Isaiah 9, verses 6 says this For to us a child is born, to us the son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The biblical story paints a picture within which there's an evil out there that God wants to do away with, a chaos out there, a strife out there, a war out there that God will ultimately do away with. But that first and foremost, there's a war, there's a chaos, there's a strife within the heart, within the heart of every single individual. And he needs to melt it away. Because if you were to partner with the hope of the Christian story and say, God, come, do away with evil, get rid of it, make it go away, but you don't deal with the evil in your own heart, then really what you're saying is, oh God, maybe I won't be around when you come. But if you allow him to come close, receive his son, then he can do something in your heart now that melts it. Which means that when you partner with him for his return, he's not coming in judgment, but actually in partnership to help you rule and reign over this creation. To bless it, to steward it, to love it. You've got to receive his son. I did some research recently. This is the last illustration I'll give, and then we'll move into some prayer. But has anyone heard of the seven second hug? Doctors have noted that 
if you hug someone, just briefly, it does something, it's nice. But if you hug someone for more than seven seconds, it releases oxytocin in the body because of which it delivers people to a state of calm and poise and release. And actually, I see the prophet Isaiah in this text offering us something similar, that actually in allowing God in his son Jesus to come close to each one of our hearts, it actually gives our hearts the peace we all long for, the peace for which we were made. And I just want to summarise Isaiah with my own words by saying this, that I think the answer to the world's anxiety is God's proximity. The answer to the world's anxiety is God's proximity. Because when God comes close, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, He, by His Spirit, does something in us which completely relativizes all the worries of the world. What do I mean? Christmas is coming. I promise you I'm finishing it in just a moment, but Christmas is coming. And maybe like I haven't done my shopping yet, or how will this relationship and dynamic go with this family member at the table? Or, and you insert worry after worry after worry after worry. But here you have a prophet talking about a wonderful counsellor. And when you meet this God and come into a relationship with him, meeting the wonderful counsellor has a way of relativizing all the worries of the world because you're so transfixed on him. And it gives us a clue about how we receive that peace. You actually can't receive peace by trying to clutch onto it. That actually just makes you more anxious, right? But what if there's someone in whom, with relationship with them, peace is a byproduct? Where would you run? And the answer is, well, just straight to him, straight to his arms. And that's the invitation, that God will one day, with his future promise, bring peace to the world. And we get to partner with him in that, anticipating that with the way that we live our lives and becoming peacemakers ourselves. But that right now, in this moment, in every moment, he can meet us with our anxieties, with our worries, with our fears. Anxiety is something I've struggled with for a while, just being honest. And it's fascinating how debilitating it can be. Completely debilitates you, rocks you of all your ability to use your gifts and your heart and, and honestly just be yourself sometimes. But what would happen if there's someone in whose presence you can be yourself and have the worries of this world melt away as the wonderful counsellor makes himself available to you? That's the offer. Something I've found to be true in my life is that every time I spend time with God in His presence, or start my day in prayer, or just make my imagination, the real estate of my mind, available to Him, man, it just completely dilutes the anxieties that I just walk with normally every single day. That could be you. It could be all of us. And imagine the power of a community that longs for the future where God's promise is to do away with all injustice but themselves have this lack of anxiety now because we walk with someone who is the Prince of Peace. Can I invite you to stand? We're going to move into some ministry time and I just want to encourage us as a church. Um, two things are going to happen now, actually. Um, we're going to move into some ministry time. And, and also, too, if you've got um, children, this is a bit of housekeeping all at the same time. If you've got children in kids' life, um, just as we step out of this ministry time, just feel free to go and grab them. But there's two things I'm praying for just as I was preparing this week. And the first is this, that there's going to be people here this afternoon who don't know the Prince of Peace. And the invitation is for them to come into a relationship with him. 
and I just want to make that offer right now. And so if you find yourself here and you think, oh man, I'd love to know the Prince of Peace, maybe for the first time, receive his son. Receive the one Isaiah talked about. And the hope Isaiah had for the future can be your present if you acknowledge Jesus. And so to do that, can I just invite everyone in the room to close their eyes, bow their heads. And if you'd like to meet the Prince of Peace for the first time, I just wanna invite you to raise your hand. If that's you, you don't know Jesus, and you long to meet this one Isaiah talked about, just raise your hand and I'll wait for you. I'll leave that open just for one more second. Maybe you're here and you've never known God and you'd love to meet Him. If that's you, why don't you just pray this under your own breath, just after me. God, thank you for the Prince of Peace. Sorry that I've lived my life absent and distant from Him. Please, come into my life. Fill me. Give me your peace, Lord. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The other week, friends, we, um, we invited ministry time where we said, hey, if God's got a word on your heart or a scripture, a passage or an image, then don't wait for the professional Christians that, you know, are just one foot higher on this platform to come and do something. Just be the people of God and go share it with those in the room. And when we made space for that, what happened was there was someone who was on our host team who came and shared with someone else on the front right. And it's a person who never does anything like that. It was a particular passage of scripture and they just thought that God wanted to encourage this individual through it. So they came and shared. And as they shared, that person felt really blessed and encouraged by that. Good job, God. But then another person came to that same individual with the same passage of scripture and just said, hey, God's put it on my heart. I think God wants to encourage you in this way. And what that did for that individual was this. Oh, one time is nice. But wow, a second time with 66 books of the Bible, all of which have an expanse of words, God gave you both this word to speak into my life. God might be really trying to say something to me. And I just want to say, man, as the people of God commissioned in the power of the Spirit, what would it look like just for us in this next, these next few songs just to be released with the gifts that we've got? I'm going to be down on the left, um, prepared to pray for those who want to respond. But there's one other person in the room that I think needs prayer right now, just before we move into this song. And it's people who struggle with anxiety. I was like, God, do you really want to speak into these people's life? Do you really want to meet them by the Spirit? And I just can't shake it. And so, man, I just I want to invite you. And all of our eyes are open, and that's great. We're family. We do this together. But if anxiety is something that you struggle with, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And in raising your hand, you're making yourself available to the rest of the family that sits alongside you right now for what? Well, for this, for them to come and lay hands on you and to pray with you and just to speak the power and presence of God into your life. And so if you welcome that kind of thing, and particularly anxiety is something you struggle with, whether diagnosed or not, I just want to create space 
for us to receive the presence of God as a community, for God to come near. And so if you want to do that, just raise your hand. I'm raising mine. And you'd love to just meet with God, do business with God. I see one hand down the front here, another hand in the middle, another at the back. Just as these hands are going up, can you just, the rest of the people of God, just go and place your hand on them. And we're just going to create even more space. There's a hand up the back, up the top. Can we just gather around these people? People are moving around. That's really helpful. I still think there's others in the room who particularly struggle with this. And I'd just love to create space. If you struggle with anxiety, worry, fear, and it has a hold on your life, just raise your hand nice and high. There's a few others. Wonderful. Not to sound like a broken record, but just one more time. If you struggle with anxiety and you're sitting here and you're like, I should raise my hand, but I don't want to because I'm, I'm scared, what would it look like? Just feel free, just raise your hand. You're among family. Oh, amen. And it's gonna be really hard for me to lead this. But just as you stand around those individuals, just pray the presence of God into their lives. Come, Lord Jesus. Some of you will feel just a warmth, and it's not the Southeast Queensland sun, it's the presence of God. And if that's you, just say, I welcome you, Holy Spirit. I welcome you, Holy Spirit. we're going to move into worship but as I do that maybe God wants to use you still for the little bit of time that we've got left we're going to go over today that's very clear to me right now <laughs> and that's fine maybe God wants to use you still so why don't I pray and let's worship together Father we call you the Prince of Peace the wonderful counselor, the everlasting Father, the mighty God, and we just invite you here. Do whatever you want to do. For those of us calloused, melt our hearts. For those of us numb, tenderize us. For those of us excited, release us in ministry. For those of us weary, make buoyant our step. For those of us scared, Lord, still our worry. For all of us, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship. <laughs>